Hey everyone, welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discussing pop culture. Um, less culture this week, um, <laughs> but as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Chris. Chris, how are you? I'm very well, Steve. How are you? Uh, well, I'd hate to start off, how did this get made? But uh, <laughs> we watched a film, um, if we can call it that. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, so, so we're not... <laughs> We're not hiding it. You did not enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have a. I have a lot to talk about this film. I think, and we'll go straight into it. If if, this film is a stroll to our familial past, Mm -hmm. and it's not really made to you, general listener, with any sort of recommendation, the film we are watching is Weekend at Bernie's Two. Rachel claims this is her favorite movie, Dangerous Liaisons. Correct. Her actual favorite movie is Weekend at Bernie's. Correct. Not even the original, as Joey joked there with Rachel, the sequel. The sequel that no one wanted. Why on earth are we re-watching this random 1990s comedy sequel and recording a podcast about it? Well, for that, I'm going to turn this bit over to you, Chris. Why are we watching this film, Chris? That's a very good question, Steve. The reason, <laughs> in a nutshell, so uh, a while ago, quite a while ago now, somebody suggested that we look at films that we had watched in our youth and enjoyed in our youth and and watched a fair bit and have since, you know, have since not really watched. Uh, And we we watch them again and see, do they hold up? Do we see what we saw in them then, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, we did that with Pee-wee's Big Adventure, which hopefully some people will remember. We also did it with The Three Amigos, which no one will remember because it didn't record properly. (laughs) So we only ever had my half of the conversation for that one, so we never dropped it. So we've kind of come back to that well because a little while ago I, I was lying in bed at night thinking about the podcast and episodes, ideas. I was thinking about that notion and then it hit me. I was like, Weekend at Bernie's 2! What could be more perfect than that? for this kind of discussion because we we watched it as kids i have not seen it in decades i barely even give it a passing thought from time to time um for all intents and purposes i had forgotten it existed until it it, it sort of popped back into my head recently so right. that's why <laughs> so let's let's set the scene so i believe you would have been eight years old yes i was eight eight years old and I was 13 and we'd moved down uh, not so long from uh, Scotland to England and we had uh, we were in our, our first home which we, we were going to spend six months as we kind of looked for our forever home or whatever and we had cable TV like um, some very lucky girls and boys at that time in yeah. the country but it only had two or three movie channels and this was a I believe a premiere like this was like the sky premiere of the week weekend at Bernie's 2 it was was absolutely a premiere of the week and you and me are just like yeah that looks funny and we'd been subject to some pretty awesome comedies at that point in our lives like again you're eight I'm 13 before that Blues Brothers I watched that a ton Mm -hmm. I remember Blazing Saddles I remember Airplane so many good comedies that uh, dad subjected us to especially that absolutely shouldn't have uh ace ventura was one as well we actually watched we probably watched that until that tape was destroyed absolutely absolutely and then we watched weekend at bernie's too and now and now dear listener 2020 we decided to go back now i'm glad to say i didn't pay a penny for this no no nor did i so i found it on the youtubes 
and I, I did it in one go though i watched it in yeah. one go i had to stop it more than once because it was the middle of the day you know i'm kind of on my lunch break or whatever sneaking it here and there but i watched it in one go largely but there was some things in this film chris i'm going to tell you right now that i just had to stop and go like oh boy <laughs> oh boy I'm, I'm i'm glad you said that steve okay <laughs> uh so yeah obviously my memories of this film are much the same because we lived we lived through the same experience there um i remember as we recorded this uh we taped the sky premiere of weekend at bernie's 2 and i don't know how often you rewatched it i certainly rewatched it a lot so <laughs> there were bits of this film that sort of i rewatched, and it was like oh my god Yes, it sort of came back to me. Um, oh, the memories came flooding the, back. They came flooding back. And there were other bits where I was like, I swear, to, I don't remember this at all. <laughs> Is this really the case? So, Steve, if I, if I may be so bold, mm -hmm. in case any of our listeners have not seen Weekend at Bernie's 2. I'm going to guess that they haven't. I might just outline the plot, if I may. <laughs> Go for it. Give us a synopsis. It's, it's so cray-cray. So the important information you need to know is that in the first film, which we hadn't seen when we watched I've never the sequel, seen, and I've never seen it. I still seen haven't it, seen it. I've seen it once, but I, I guess I made, if you will, the mistake of not recording that one. <laughs> um, and <laughs> I think it is, I, I'm pretty sure it's a much better film, <laughs> I, but, but I can't say for sure. So the first film uh, is is essentially that these two guys, Larry and Richie, Richie, Larry and Richie, yeah. they are invited to the beach house of one of their colleagues, Bernie. Bernie's a little bit of a crook, got his fingers in the cookie jar. Bernie gets killed, like he's actually murdered, uh, which is really dark. And they decide instead of reporting this to the police or whatever else, that this is the perfect opportunity for them to have like a beach weekend and some fun a weekend at bernie's and so the humor all relied around making bernie's corpse look like it was actually alive so that people uh you know people wouldn't get suspicious mm. and you'd think well that's that's that concept done like what what else could you really do with that and the yeah. answer is is weekend at bernie's too where they take a dive into the occult and deal with the burning question a lot of viewers had, which is what would happen if a voodoo witch doctor had decided to reanimate Bernie, but wasn't quite able to do so. And, and not just a voodoo witch doctor reanimating them, but a drug dealing voodoo witch doctor. Drug dealing voodoo witch doctor <laughs> tries to reanimate Bernie, doesn't quite succeed, such that he can only be reanimated when music is playing. So... What's really crazy about this film and what was really jarring for me watching it, it, it given the context of the original, is that this, this film is about magic. <laughs> this, uh, this film is not set in the real world, and the first one very much was, you know, albeit a silly version of the real world where people could get away with playing with a corpse and, you know, get nothing but a bit of a slap on the wrists for it. It's 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 something else, all right. So let, let's let us dive into it and, and yeah. let's start off with... A kind of subpar 1970s Hanna Barbara cartoon, which is the opening credit. It's so goofy. <laughs> it was just dumb. I was. I mean, I think you've watched you... the first one, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I haven't. So you tell me, is this the recap of the first film in animated form? Because obviously, <sighs> this this film 
um, apparently takes off straight from the start of the first one um, where they've kind of signed for his corpse or something. They go back to work. So Pretty is that what much. happens? I mean, more or less. I mean, this, the stuff that happens in the cartoon, I mean, I cannot remember. I cannot remember that first film very well at all. I literally only remember one part and it's because I was too young to watch it and this part kind of, I didn't really, it kind of blew my mind. So there was a, there's, well, Bernie is still alive. There's a woman sort of fiddling with him under the table and I was like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> what's happening right now? I had no idea. And that part I remember uh, because I was sort of scarred because mum and dad should not have let us watch these films. No, no. But I did. That's all I really remember and the general gist of it. Um, but yeah, I think the idea is it's a, it's a retelling in cartoon form of roughly what had happened through the first film. Uh, yeah, it's, it's super weird. Um, it not, is super weird. It, it, yeah. it, if you haven't watched the film, and most people won't have, so let's just explain and it. And don't. It is a very kind of cheap 1970s Hanna-Barbera style recap of the first one with music suddenly changing with some like keyboard saxophone back yeah. and forth <laughs> it's a yeah really like as, as a train goes past the sax goes like that kind of music <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's what you're dealing with and you're I setting think... yourself up for uh, 80 minutes of comedy this way i can tell you yeah solid 80 they stretched it they they did oh. not have 80 on the page. I'm telling you that now. I was pleasantly surprised when I clicked play on YouTube and it said 1 hour 28. And I thought, oh, it's like oh a nine minute, like tight, tight comedy. They could have done this in 50. That's how much yeah. stretched out it is. Yeah. And I think the, the intro bit is, is strange, not least because you kind of forget that every film in modern times has a cold open. Um, we You know, films don't generally have an intro and intro credits like they used to i mean that that used to just be standard but every single film we know now basically just begins it starts you watch the whole movie you get the credits at the end so that that really dates it <laughs> um and it's it's not the only thing so um steve what did you think of the start of the movie did it start strong for you well it, it didn't really start strong it didn't get in the middle really any uptick and it, and it ended poorly but you know, what was interesting at the start was actually seeing the recognisable people on screen that I'd kind of forgotten about. So the, the film stars Andrew McCarthy, and he was a genuinely huge 1980s star. Like, yeah. Brat Pack star. He was a mannequin at St. Elmo's Fire, Pretty in Pink, just for starters. And Jonathan Silverman, less so, but he, he's yeah. been around and he was, and, you know, he's done a lot of TV and stuff. Jonathan Silverman, who was also in Death Becomes Her, which was another film that you and I watched a lot of growing up that may have been genuinely bad that we, we watched might have to, we might have to over back to that and one. over and over again because of sky movies and it may be fair to say <laughs> that although both are still working uh this film might not have helped their their employment prospects at all I, I i don't think it did no i remember when we watched it thinking like i couldn't name these actors but i know who they are i know their faces i know you know i've seen their work they're funny guys was was my overwhelming idea and, uh, and belief when I, I think we watched this back when I was eight, when I think a lot a lot of this humour probably was actually more aimed at that age than it is at my current age, if I'm honest. Now, what I did like is, so they, they leave, the, so they, 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 they sign for this dead body, or they sign the dead body <laughs> in, whatever, however that happens in, in comedy films, um, back at the, the, the morgue. 
and then they, they head to work and they they're swear they're going to get a promotion because they've discovered that the in addition to dying uh bernie <laughs> have been funneling money away from their company so they're off we get a, <laughs> i tell you what we get and it was probably the only like like laugh out loud moment i had they they walk outside the morgue and they bump into someone and we get a right old fake i'm walking here new york style <laughs> someone actually says that and i was yeah. like oh we're in new york yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like mise-en-scene perfectly done you don't have to see like the empire state building or statue of liberty just give me a i'm walking here so uh, i'll tell you i've got my notes open in front of me they're on my phone and my first note was goofy intro and my second note was i'm walking here <laughs> um, i'm walking here so as we as we go through the film uh, in a sort of whistle stop tour, I will stop you at every point that I left, and I would say there was maybe four, which is probably I think okay. more than you had. That's what I'm going to guess. And none of them none of them were supposed to be big comedy moments. I don't think they're just little things that were were kind of dumb and made me laugh. I, I guarantee you that anything that we laughed at was probably not what was meant to be laughed at, but. Very quickly, the, the film is set up. So they go in, they don't believe them, they think they stole the money, they've got apparently two weeks to, to kind of get that money back. And they're being chased all the time by kind of an investigator who's played by Barry Bostwick, who, again, is a name that you might not know, but he's a familiar face, he's been around. Chris, in one word, can you name what I would have known him from? I can only really think of two words, which would be Spin City. Oh, he was in Spin City? Oh, so that was that was my main thing for him. He was the mayor in Spin City alongside Michael J. So, Fox. So here's the thing I was going to say about Brian Boswick, because he works. Like, he's got tons of credits. Oh, yeah. And so I was actually like, oh, this film didn't kill him. And he, he actually comes off pretty well. Like, he like he goes for it. Like, yeah. Actually, all the actors do, really. Like, they do the best with what they're given. Um, but Boswick, he kind of brings a kind of... Bruce Boxleitner-like level of professionalism <laughs> to this film. What a pro. He's going for it, and he... he what a pro. He's there, you know, I'm you know, eight to late, I'm sure, it's, putting in the hours. It's not just a paycheck. He's like, if I'm going to do this stupid film, like, I'm going to be the most believable corporate asshole who's, you know... <laughs> exactly. Chasing these exactly. guys down. The place, Chris, where I know him from, out of Spin City, which actually, I now that I remember, of course, he was the mayor, and he was great in that as well, uh. was the original pilot movie of a science fiction TV show from the 1990s, which we watched a lot of as well, was Lex. Lex, God. <laughs> German-Canadian co-produced TV show, which was on the original like lineup of Channel 5. And Uncomfortably sexy, I would call that. <laughs> at times just <laughs> or at least trying to be trying to be which suited the age that we were at frankly because we were awkward and that was awkward as well but he, he was in that and i was like oh that's where i've seen him but oh no that's well. no, fair that's a deep cut steve that's a deep cut no i <laughs> i went straight to spin city because i think i know him more as is as, as the sort of the comedic role where he played the mayor in spin city he also um made like guest appearances in shows like scrubs and things and like you say he's he's got a huge body of work he's a great actor and yeah he brings oh, great work. he brings a gravitas to this role and he brings us the first of many 80s tropes and early 90s <laughs> tropes so this one uh, <laughs> this one i sort of think of as the guy who was really in the right all along who just gets shit upon the whole film so here's the thing, his character, he's, he's effectively investigating misappropriation of funds. He thinks 
not necessarily wrongly that these two, uh, you know, might have been on the take or, or certainly know more about the money than they're letting on. He definitely knows that they're trying to make the most of the situation, which isn't great. And he's determined to prove it. And he's right. Like, the film ends with them stealing a million dollars, I think, or, or something crazy like that. <laughs> so so he was right all along, and he was more than right to be chasing them and uh, and trying to hound them down. And, and if the film had any justice to it, it would have ended with Larry and Richie behind bars and this guy getting a promotion. But because it was the 80s slash early 90s, he must be shit upon. He's an authority figure, and these are Gen Xers. So <laughs> this square in his suit and his tie... <laughs> Exactly, and Larry and Richie are like yuppie 1980s Wall Street types who yeah. are only after that money. Like, and they, they, they literally grave rob this guy, right? <laughs> That's where part of the comedy comes from. They steal his gold watch. They steal his gold credit cards. They misappropriate funds that definitely don't belong to them. They're pretty horrible people. Yeah, and, and it's not we'll a victimless to, crime. We'll... <laughs> no. That's people's they, money. They're like... But, We'll get to that, but they talk about like, uh, nobody knows whose money this is. It's somebody's. It's a lot of money. It is, it is a vast amount of money. Yeah, and uh, what it kind of puts me in mind of is a far, far better film, which is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and the, the character of Principal Rooney, who's the exact same guy. You know, he's in the right. Ferris is bunking off of school. He's he's not doing what he's supposed to. He's not going to get the grades he needs, and he's not going to get a good... He's not going to go to a good college or anything. And Rooney is, if anything, looking out for his future. And trying mm. to catch him in the act of, of of skiving off for the day. But again, Rooney just spends the whole film getting shit on. He always looks bad. He always gets caught out. And in, in the film, he basically gets arrested for being a pervert, uh, which is all totally unfair. But it's all part of that kind of trope. Absolutely. So let's so so let's set the scene. So they've now they've now been accused of this money fraud. They're they're off and the scene changes to the Caribbean. And we're going to take in, Chris, our first dose of voodoo oh god which is very you know 2020 vibes all over this like you're not yeah. gonna last five minutes i'll tell you that yeah but another kind of couple of familiar faces turn up we've got two gangster types and one of them is played by an actor called tom wright so again you may not know the name but chris he was george costanza's boss on seinfeld when he was with the yankees and more importantly for us he was tuvix from voyager <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know what he stole the show in that episode of voyager if you don't know what we're oh, talking yeah. about this and is nonsense but <laughs> he plays a combination so, no, of no, two characters the people need to know right because there's, there's a bigger thing here right there's an episode so you get tuvok and neelix and they beam down and they beam back up and they merge you know typical star trek like you know they merge into one being a new unique being called tuvix played by this guy and in the end captain janeway kills him which is it's very, one of the most very controversial episodes because out of everything that show ever tells you, it's like, nope, embrace the new. It's an innocent person. Nope, kills him, gets her friends back. Episode ends. <laughs> it's really troubling. But he was really good at it. So he's also like, he's, he's doing the best he can here with, with what he's been given. And the okay. other person who's, who turns up in a minor background role, but it's their first role, Chris, did you notice gary durdan from csi las vegas i did and uh, yeah i did um <laughs> in fact moments before i came up to record i was just flicking the channels and i saw csi well it wasn't even it was from before it was called csi las vegas when it was just known as csi um 
and you know one of the very early episodes with him in and i just i just stopped to watch it for a couple of minutes because i was like this is so weird i was just thinking about this guy i just i spent ages trying to place him and then ended up looking him up on imdb during the film and uh yeah you know i think he was also in alien resurrection so he made some bad choices (laughs) well this was his first film and obviously after this he was going to do csi but it was just an interesting thing to see that we're racking up like familiar faces now and some names um, but we now begin to have some like troublesome cultural observations, given that yeah. these people of colour are, of course, in a voodoo drug cartel, because that's common, I guess, on these islands. And <laughs> But they do, Chris, have something that never appears again, an adorable voodoo doll of yeah. Bernie. Complete that, that was pretty... shades. <laughs> okay, so... That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, so here we are. Laugh, laugh out loud number two for me was the Bernie voodoo doll. <laughs> <laughs> the Bernie Voodoo doll, which has like the shades and the crumpled smile that he wears for two films. So it's like yeah. he literally looks like an emoji. He does. This film might just be ahead of its time, at least emoji wise, because it looks like that kind of crumpled face, that kind of like mm, <laughs> face that you get sometimes when you have to say something that's not entirely positive. Uh, it's yeah. probably inspired by uh, Weekend of Bernie's. I, I imagine so. So can we just let's just kind of tackle this right now. Is this film racist? It, hmm, I, I would say it is obviously been written by an old white guy because yeah. <laughs> like, all the stuff and it doesn't involve like New York is troublesome, like from attitude to women and attitude to race. And again, yeah. nobody like it's like nobody here is treated poorly because of race, but it's more just like, yeah, voodoo. It's all very common in these islands, isn't it? I mean. Sure it is. And sure. also the drug cartel. It's just a little bit troubling. I think, and, yeah, I think yeah. The, op- the optics are a little troubling. And op- yeah. I just, it's hard for me now because I, I criticize people, you know this, Steve. I criticize people who tend to look at something from the past through 2020 lens and treat mm-hmm. it as if we had the exact same sensibilities back then. Um, yeah. You could do it for so many things and even things just... Even things like five or six years old now can can look really dated, uh, you know, whether they be, you know, troubling in terms of gender or transphobic or indeed still mm. homophobic, sexist, racist. So, I, you know, I'm not a big fan of doing that because that's not the lens we were viewing the world through at the time. And it's not fair to judge it by the same mm. measures. You can look back on it and say, wow, that's kind of troubling by today's standards. But it doesn't mean you have to boycott it. You know, I don't have to boycott friends just because occasionally they get into some troublingly homophobic uh, you know subject matters Mm. that having been said part of me wonders if eight-year-old me had been just a tiny bit more woke would i have found this all a little troubling and a little bit like so these bad guys they're black those bad guys they're black the mobu is a black voodoo lady the the doctor (laughs) is black but really doesn't seem like a doctor he seems more like a witch doctor given that yeah. he deals exclusively in voodoo and <laughs> try to, instead of trying to snap everyone out of it when i'm jumping ahead here i will jump back but you know towards the end of the film richie has been made to drink something that is a poison and will kill him within a certain amount of time mm-hmm. and instead of saying come on i'm a medical doctor it's poison we just need to flush it out of his system he'll be fine he's like there is a way but I need the blood of a virgin. And it's like, come on. Yeah, the man's got exactly. a degree in medicine. He's not going to say that. So I think, I think I found all of that a little troubling. A lot, I mean, a lot of it was just the aesthetic of the time. You know, this, the oh, 90s yeah. was effectively just an 80s hangover. 
and a lot of the fashions a lot of the you know the the look and aesthetic is is with that so you know there is that element to it the way they dress and you know the the, the way the actors act kind of is what it is but it doesn't it doesn't feel great no i i don't think woke is a very recent term but i think i will say briefly on this is just we um you know we were obviously in scotland and then moved down to england very young and it's not like we had a great deal of experience with what the world was like beyond our backyard mm-hmm. which was very white and very you know working middle class yeah and you think about some of the other films we watched very few had positive attitudes towards black people at the best of times um i can think of things like sitting down and watching james bond i watched a recent video on the interwebs which pointed out just five or six of the most troubling aspects from bond films and some of them are horrendous there's one with Roger Moore where he says to this guy, he's like, there's your cut. That'll keep you in curry for a while. Oh, jeez. And, and there's, oh. One basic, there's one where Sean Connery and Dr. No basically has a slave and he's like, fetch my shoes, boy. And he goes, yes, massa. And you're like, oh, this is awful. <laughs> so this, the thing is with the films that like we got shown on the Saturday afternoon, they still played. So it is different. It is challenging. It is different. But... Yeah, the attitude in this film is basically, yeah, they're on this Caribbean island. They're all into voodoo or no voodoo. Mm-hmm. Even though it's the US Virgin Islands, we're not talking about like some backwater hole. We're talking about like a tax haven yeah. for American <laughs> tourists. <laughs> and that, I mean, that in and of itself is, is a big part of the plot that it would be a tax haven. So so, <laughs> so moving chronologically on, so we're, we're on the island now and they've brought, they've, they've brought Bernie with them. Oh, not yet. No, no, no. Oh, Don't no, no. Sorry. Sorry. No, we're far... Chris, this 90-minute film, which could have been done in 40 minutes, has a long way to go, but let's talk about... Oh, no. Let's talk about the restaurant scene, because apparently Jonathan Silverman has been woken up in the middle of the night by Richie. He's not changed. No, he's Richie. Richie, he's woken up by Larry. Oh, Oh, fuck. Who cares? It's interchangeable (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Jonathan Silverman. Jonathan Silverman has been woken up in the middle of the night and he's not changed save for a sex creep trench coat over his very blue, very conservative jammies. Yeah. What fancy Dan restaurant is open so late that he has, he is already in bed? Why not take the five minutes to put on trousers and a shirt and shoes? Yeah, I mean, it it can't have been that desperate. And his mate is in there again. Grave robbing Bernie with his gold card to have a restaurant <laughs> meal on his own. Like, that's... He's on his own having a meal. <laughs> with his gold card. And now he's got his signature down pat with his left hand or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just... I, I didn't laugh or anything during the scene. I just sat there like... I just couldn't get over the fact that Jonathan Silverman has went all the way down to this restaurant in his jammies. And it could have taken him two minutes to change. I mean, that... <laughs> There's, oh, there's so much. I felt like, I mean, I, I don't know who directed this movie, I can't recall, but I feel like after the first few takes, he's he's kind of coming back and he's going, guys, go bigger. This comedy needs to be big. So everything is so like, you know, it's it's not just like, come on, Richie, I've invited you down to the restaurant, join me. It's all like, Richie, Richie, my boy, I'll come and sit down with me. I got a gold card. <laughs> and it's, it's it is... It's not ex- bad, actually. I mean... 
<laughs> it's exhausting. It's so exhausting to watch because he just doesn't let up. The whole film, it is just it is just that on transmit pretty much. And I don't feel that he's a bad comedic actor. I just think he was in a very bad film and I feel like they were really making him play up that very goofy nobody really talks like this or acts like this kind of character i just wonder whether he would just knew it was such a bad film that he just tried to act his way out of it (laughs) because as we said he was like a huge star of the 80s andrew mccarthy and anyway he's he's kind of landed with this role he's trying his best to basically be this horrible yuppie type and try and make it in some way charming but of course he's not really but um as you said they're all kind of acting up to the nines and they come up with a plan or actually they don't come up with a plan but one tells the other, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to break in and you're going to get all the details off our computers <laughs> from uh, their old work. In the meantime, we, we find our two black voodoo um, hitmen, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better term, um, taking their uh, goods and chattels. They've got the body. They've managed to go get the body. And they go into a porno theatre, Chris. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just, I know I've discussed this before. Like, we mentioned this... It came up in an unfortunate circumstance when we were talking about Pee Wee Herman. I really just don't understand why these things exist. And this I'm is... just baffled by them. This is probably the worst depiction of it, Chris. I was looking at it. I was watching it. I was like, everyone is there with popcorn watching pornography. And I'm like, there's no way that that's what happens in a porno theater. I watched The Departed at least. Yeah, you know at least someone's jacking it in there. No one's jacking it. Someone's brought a chicken themselves, which is supposed to be a joke, I guess, that they brought a chicken uh, and they're stroking the chicken. Now you see, Steve, you've just hit upon my third laugh of the movie. Okay, the chicken. <laughs> it was, it was not the guy who brought his own chicken. It was so I forget the name of the two gangsters who are in the porno yeah. theater, but one of them's looking around. He sees this guy holding the chicken, and he's like, "That's my chicken." And, um, you know, the guy, the guy does not take his eyes off the porn for two seconds. He stares at the screen and he says, no, no, this is mine. I brought it with me. Now, that didn't make me laugh. But the guy's, the guy's reaction. So he, like, starts to go about his business. Then he holds for a beat. And he does this kind of face that I can't really show to you, obviously, uh, over, over the screen. But it's just sort of like a yeesh kind of yeah. look. <laughs> yeah it was it was pretty well done <laughs> these, these are, these, like, by, by no you know although it's a bad film these are talented actors like we've said like regular work sitcom work you know tv like they're trying their best they it was really not are. their fault uh, that is for sure not their fault but they are in a porno theater trying to find a chicken mm-hmm. uh, they don't really get it so they get a pigeon instead and <laughs> they bring bernie kind of voodoo back to life but it only works because they use their own blood when they play music and this is actually where i laughed because the first time the guy playing bernie has to do this physical comedy all the time where he basically has to wiggle his bum and kind of rise from the floor hips first every time dance and then he kind of settles he kind of settles on his haunches and his back gets curved and then he starts walking towards the whole idea being he's walking towards his money and yep. they're going to follow him. But the actual physical comedy aspect of it is really well done. Like, the the, the, the performer, the actor, yeah. is doing a pretty good job to, like, physically do this with his face. is obviously yep. all contorted because he's supposed to be dead. And he's kind of dancing around. <laughs> but 
<laughs> it's a heck of a physical performance. It, it is. Um, it is honestly. Um, it is honestly the most impressive part of the film, and I feel like he, as an actor, is very likely a big part of the reason there was a weekend at Bernie's too. I can't help but feel that someone was like, "We need more of this." Like the the way this guy plays dead, he does some great physical comedy. You mm. know, in the first film, it's a lot of I'm the dead weight and I'm loosely flapping my arm. And for some reason, you buy it that that's me waving at you or, or whatever it may be. But yeah, his his I'm dead, but now I'm dancing uh, routine. Uh, and you, you missed out my favorite part of it, actually, which is the head bob. So he, <laughs> as he's dancing, he wiggles his head from side to side like a bobblehead. <laughs> And we'll continue yep. to do so until the music stops when he just flat out goes dead weight and drops to the floor. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that, that, that whole bit, that, that whole bit actually very quickly raised, I think, my fourth yuck of the film already. <laughs> Something that also got a minor laugh for me, it was a repeated line from the, one of the two um, killers was, he says, ain't, he says, ain't this a bitch? Yeah, he says it like three times in the film. It's it's like his catchphrase. Why. Yeah, it's like his catchphrase. And because the actor uh, is it Tom Wright, yeah. Um, yeah, Tom Wright does such a good job with it. it. It's 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 funny in his delivery. That the line itself is not particularly funny, but it's it's pretty funny in his delivery. Yeah. But you know, we are we're scratching here for for yeah. funny moments. Well, I think I think that's the thing. Yeah, I really wanted to like this because I think challenge this if you disagree steve but generally you are the rain and i am the parade and i tend to find everything funny and i like everything even if it's not good for me and you (laughs) tend to be slightly more of a cynical very sensible sure very logical you you know you tend to tire of things quicker than i do (laughs) you don't often look back you know i'm often surprised if we ever talk about something nostalgic if you don't just kind of go like oh yeah yeah we used to watch a lot of that i guess i, mean, I don't know i don't really whatever so what, what did mum call me it was um, when i was growing up it was like mr serious mr serious Sen- or... Mister... well it was usually mr fucking serious <laughs> <laughs> at like at like 11 12 years old yeah. that's what she said about me yeah that's true yeah well i mean picture this just small diversion but i think this kind of paints the picture when we were young, for a very brief period of time, we shared a room, and that, that did not work. Uh, we, we got split apart. I, I remember the evening where Dad came roaring into our bedroom to tell us, like, you are going in that room, and he is staying in this room, and that is it! And then he walked back out again without waiting to hear our response. And so it was for a while. I had the little room, you had the big room. And then you decided you wanted to move downstairs to the downstairs office, where you had like, right. a, you had like a desk... Uh, nice little sensible single bed. You had a typewriter mm-hmm. <laughs> where you could where you could write down all your reflections on the day. And I got the big room. I had the mate. Uh, oh no, I didn't have the Mega Drive. You still had that. I had the Master System, I suppose. I had all my toys. I had this big fun playroom with horrible red carpets and mm-hmm. Simpsons wallpaper. <laughs> and you were downstairs mm-hmm. in this office. <laughs> sitting typing away your little letters to the world trying to sneak out at night so you could watch tv without mum and dad knowing mm-hmm. that that is that is the picture anyway all this to say i therefore wanted to be the one who was like come on steve loosen up weekend at bernie's too is funny <laughs> <laughs> like you might you know oh. it might not be high art but it's funny but oh god it's now is a struggle man i watched it in th- <laughs> you watched it in one sitting i watched it in like three three or four i had to keep stopping I was watching it in yeah. bed, 
And I was like, I can't sleep after watching this. I can't enjoy it. Oh, no. I had to turn it off. The next day, I watched it over lunch for a little bit. And, oh, I just couldn't get on. <laughs> and I got home. I, I had to have a word with myself. I had to be like, Chris, get this shit done. Just sit down and watch it. Every, oh, I just felt like a little part of my inner child was dying, if I'm honest. Because I was just like, I used to really like this. And I'm the guy that likes the stuff that I used to really like. <laughs> I just... Oh, I mean, the bits that are funny were funny, and and the bits that we're highlighting did make me laugh. I can't say I enjoyed it. I can't say overall it was a funny film. I, I what I would watch is like a YouTube smash cut of my favorite five minutes of the film. But yeah, exactly. It, and that's you know what it is. You know what it reminds me of. It's one of those films like a, a Saturday Night Live sketch, where they mm. decided to turn it into a ninety-minute film and it doesn't work. It should have stayed a five-minute sketch. Yes, five-minute sketch of someone who's supposed to be dead and he's a zombie or you know they you kind of like put your hands in his uh jacket so you can make him wave and stuff that's <laughs> that's pretty funny but this is not and at this point in the movie you know it, it's a little bit troubling the guys have broken into an office seemingly so easily as to not even have to to share this plot point like <laughs> they just are in the office they don't tell us how they got into them um but it's truly it's truly pre-9-11 because they not only <laughs> did they manage to eventually find this lost corpse in new york stuff the corpse into a suitcase yeah. which is troubling they travel on an airplane to the u.s virgin islands <laughs> undetected <laughs> with a corpse <laughs> that that's more funny than the film that, that... <laughs> just, just explaining it out loud i'm actually laughing now because it's like i know it's a comedy and you i know it's a film so you know, suspend your disbelief but they, they've got a corpse and of course they get off the plane and there's some like you know stereotypical like um caribbean beats getting played and you can see the suitcase moving like, like he's trying to dance and everything like that is like that is like the high point of the film yeah and I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of lows around it. I think if I, if I'm to blame the problem with the film, I mean, problem one is the, the literal premise of the movie is so ridiculously dumb that I actually feel like I kind of owe modern films an apology. You know, we've sat here and said like, you know, this is good and this is good. And I guess I enjoy the Marvel films, but most of what comes out now is complete shite and is dross. And it's just the same stuff recycled over and over again. You know, and especially I have had a go at in the past needless sequels. But like, this is the king of needless sequels. This is like the least necessary film in the world. But I feel the second thing I would take aim at is the writing. Oh, yeah. Because the physical comedy's on point. I don't think the actors are doing a bad job, but the lines they're getting, there's just not a lot there. Yeah, there's, there's not. They're trying their best with what they've been given, and it's it's not very good and you can see it in their performances like they're amping it up and yeah. i'll come back to our friend uh barry boswick i forgot his character's name yeah but as the film goes on he is the funniest bit definitely and he's definitely portraying a guy who is a good you know good creepy vibes right yeah. that's that's what i think i'm getting from him that he's an idiot but he's smart enough to kind of cover it up mm-hmm. and as you said he's actually the right like he's in the right they stole money and he <laughs> He was right. He, found out about it. <laughs> and he knows but it. But throughout the film, he, he kind of like descends into almost madness, and yeah. he he does the best he can with it. But it's all it's all slapstick physical comedy. Mm. And when it they try and like have a witty line or a funny line, there's like there's very few. I think the biggest line that got a laugh out of me that wasn't like stupid like delivery was um, <laughs> when they finally put Bernie into the water. 
and he's walking towards the treasure and Andrew McCarthy says something like <laughs> something like oh that's it dance with the fishies you zombie bitch or zombie bastard dance with the fishies you zombie bastard yeah um, <laughs> that was it that's yeah. not even it's not smart it's just it was just funny I just didn't expect it <laughs> that's I mean that is it in a nutshell the film was kind of so poorly written that the mere fact that there was an amusing line in and of itself took you by surprise enough to make you laugh <laughs> i mean in another film it probably would have gone by unnoticed but yeah it it kind of <laughs> sticks out there's oh it's just so much so um something i want to point out uh, because we've dealt with the mm-hmm. racism i think it's time to just tackle some of the sexism here so we oh um... good I, I i was about to come on to that as well so... are we talking about the paragliding scene <laughs> no no we'll get there we'll get there steve because i've got a whole 10 minutes on that the so it's just after they get they get to a they get to larry's beach hut <laughs> the, 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 it's either his or they're charging it to his gold card of both i can't remember and you know they they shove bernie into the fridge and um uh you know set about their business and we get we kind of get into what i think is is another big 80s trope which is the friend who is a millstone around the neck of another friend so our our richie is the more sensible of the two right and he's the one constantly being like la la i gotta sit i gotta do these figures and you gotta stop using that gold card and oh, oh my god like what are we doing this is crazy and Larry is, of course, his typical screwball friend who drags him along on all his adventures, very much unwillingly, you know, participating. The trouble with that is that normally ends with a bit of a resolution. It normally has, like, the sensible friend being like, you know what, fuck you. <laughs> you always drag me into this situation, you drag me down, and and I don't like it. And they, they, have, a bit of a, they, they have a bit of a tiff, you know, in sort of the end of the second act and it gets resolved by the end of the film and everybody's grown. So we didn't really have that here. <laughs> what we have instead is is Richie's inside trying to deal with some paperwork or something. And Larry's trying to convince him to come out. He's not having any of it. And then he goes, look at the tits on her. And that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what gets Richie to go, oh, maybe I will give this island a try. Tits, you say? exactly oh. so yeah there's the, there's those kind of mentions of course he goes out on a date with this woman who serves as an important plot point and then kind of very quickly disappears from the end of the film when she's served her purpose yes which is, <laughs> she, is annoying she, she's itself. a she's a living MacGuffin, uh effectively <laughs> yeah she literally has a father who knows voodoo oh. who, which can help and and that's so... about it but Ooh. They, uh, yeah, and they go out and they don't really get any laughs from their day either anyway, but the, the the scene that does it for me is the paragliding scene. Let's set it out for the people at home. Okay. Now, when you're two young kids, there's probably a few giggles here, but in 2020 terms, what we have is a woman who can't drive a speedboat. Obviously. accidentally sets off the speedboat, which <laughs> accidentally sets off the paragliding, which gets the corpse of Bernie. And it sort of tangled his feet somehow. It tangles his feet somehow, and his immobile body somehow grabs not one, but two women's bikinis, ripping them off, exposing their breasts, right? (laughs) Meanwhile, old Barry Boswick is going up and down the sand, perving with upskirt photos of some other women, and then... (laughs) 
he sees Bernie coming towards him and recognizes him. This is funnier than the film. Yeah, it really recognizes is. Bernie. He's like, Bernie? And then he grabs the, the two bikinis. And this woman's running up, like, covering her breasts, yeah. knowing it's not him. But still, like, oh, he's like, oh, is, is this yours? Yeah. <laughs> and, like, she slaps him on the face before he gets arrested <laughs> for being a very public pervert. Oh. So this is all caused by a female who can't drive. <laughs> women on the beach who get exposed. Maybe I've misjudged the film. <laughs> sexually, sexually abused and assaulted by an oh, old Christ. pervy man with slicked back grey hair sticking his Canon camera upskirt. Yeah. It's a very troubling scene. I was watching it the whole time. I could just imagine being a kid, maybe thinking, this is kind of funny. And yeah. now just, I kind of held my hand over my mouth the whole time. Yeah. Going, oh, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. No, Bernie, no. Oh, this is troublesome. Yeah. There's, oh, there's so much. I mean, so that scene, again, 80s trope number three. Okay. <laughs> there has to be tits. Okay. In... I don't know why this is, and our younger viewers will probably find this mystifying, is that, for whatever reason, an average classic comedy film that was, you know, like screwball comedies, stupid comedies, usually about immature guys saying immature things, had to have bare breasts in it. And and it was usually really crowbarred in. Take Caddyshack, right? Caddyshack is a ridiculous film about a golf caddy, um... Chevy Chase being ridiculous, Bill Murray being ridiculous. Lots of fun. And in the middle of it, there's this random, slow, passionate sex scene with a woman, of course, having to bare her breasts. And it just, it really, really slows the pace of the film. It always made me feel super awkward as a kid. I never really understood why it needed to be in the film. And, you know, any obviously things like Porky's, Mm. all those films where they go off on ski trips anything like that, had to have some sort of female nudity. And in this, again, I feel like someone's sitting around in a meeting and being like, okay, so what? where's the film at? The film's at, I don't know, 65 minutes. Okay, we need some padding in there. What have we got? We could put in some boobs. Okay, how's that going to work? <laughs> let's, even, let's even up. Where's the dong? Yeah. Where's the dong? I, yeah, that's it. It, wasn't, it was not present in those films, was it? Why Why would the boobs be such a tool for comedy and yet the literal tool nowhere to be seen? The film, I mean, that uh, that scene, yeah. I actually found it quite horrifying. I was like, whoa, no, oh God. I couldn't remember that. I had no memory of that bit at all. Oh, no memory at all. The, the bits that kind of came back to me, just speaking generally, I remembered, eventually I remembered the two hitmen for lack of a better term and i remember them going shopping and i remember them kind of dragging a corpse off the back of a car yeah I, that's about it I, three or four things and then as i watched it all kind of other things came flooding back but it's not a, it's not a particularly memorable film the other kind of troublesome scene i found apart from the fact that of course the, the female protagonist just drops off the map just as soon as the yeah. film is kind of wrapped up we never see her again. She's not a love interest. Nothing, not even that. She's just like, oh, dumped, gone. Was the yacht at the end? <laughs> so of course, <laughs> like they're trying to convince each other, like, oh, I'll give back the money. They decide they're going to take this million dollars, and they go in this yacht to Monte Carlo. And of course, it has an all-female crew, doesn't it? Because yeah. the two of them are 
fucking leeches. <laughs> <laughs> they're not, you know, they're not naked or anything. But it's just like he's like that one of them's like, oh, they're all women. Oh yeah, maybe I could stay around for a while. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I could learn it's to like so this. Yeah. <laughs> that's it i could learn to like this of course you could <laughs> yeah oh. but yeah the, the female protagonist whose name i can't even remember and i don't mean that i'm not I, even I sure it gets it said if i'm honest if they, probably they, do, mentioned they once. do because they go on a date but basically as soon as like they've rescued bernie and they have this kind of semi-ridiculous chase scene where nothing actually she gets chasing she's gone but that's it as soon as like he's he's rescued like there's no like final scene with her that's it she's gone I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't think they needed to put a romantic subplot into this film, but <laughs> it kind of felt like that's where they were going with it, and then it just kind of disappears. I almost feel like it got cut out. I don't know. It might have got cut out. They might have just been like, just get it as short as possible without it being long, and we'll then be able to put it in cinema like ten times a day instead of eight times a day. I don't think yeah. it would have mattered. It's just, it's yeah, just well, I mean, really the thing bad. is, the only thing that could have made this film much worse would have been if it was a long and not particularly funny comedy. You know, at least it was... It was pretty mercifully short. <laughs> yeah, I think... So the main the main part of it I remembered, plot-wise... So as I've already said, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's a lot of... We've got Bernie, now they've got Bernie. Now this person's got Bernie, now we've got the money, now we haven't got the money. Um, so it, it ends up with this plot point of... Uh, Richie is made to swallow something by the mobile... And uh, that that means that he will die within exactly 24 hours unless, you know, they manage to retrieve Bernie for this woman and ultimately they don't. And so, you know, as I said, it gets to the point where the, 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 the female protagonist, her name is Claudia, by the way, I just looked it up. Um, <laughs> Claudia's dad, who is a doctor, you know, says, okay, give me the blood of a virgin <laughs> and I'll mix a little paste and that will save your friend's life. And the big mm. reveal is Larry's a virgin. Of course <laughs> he is, because he's overcompensating for the whole film. <laughs> it's painfully obvious. And it, actually, this is really stupid, but one of the reasons I remember this is because I think it actually is a continuity error, because I'm pretty sure he literally sleeps with someone in the first film. And it's it's quite oh, really? clear. I think so. I could be wrong. Viewers, Weekend at Bernie's Heads, correct me if I'm wrong on that, because I haven't got a huge um, will to go and rewatch the first one now but <laughs> i felt Are you telling like... me it breaks canon <laughs> i felt like they needed a bi- they needed like a a showrunner's bible or whatever the equivalent of that is for film series you know like something they'd have for the mcu to make sure they don't accidentally step on their own toes yeah that's it they need like an overarching (laughs) executive producing mogul who can go and well we're gonna have a third one we're gonna have a spin-off and then the fourth one you can have a team up with these guys but in this one uh yes you definitely had sex in the first one yeah Yeah. so i I feel like that happened in the first one and i was scandalized having seen the second one first and be like well that well then the film doesn't even work but obviously it's meant to be a big reveal and you know Richie never knew Larry was a virgin. Ha ha ha. Dude, I really feel they underplayed that as well. They could have got a lot of mileage out of that joke and they really just didn't play with it much at all. Oh no. But I I remembered I remembered that and I remembered thinking to myself for years, is that a real thing? Could that happen to, to me or someone I know? <laughs> Can I end up in a similar situation to Larry where I'm like There you go, buddy. And then I <laughs> Years later I would think back on how ridiculous that was. And <laughs> but um i think that's probably the reason why it stuck with me for a while so uh so plot wise that kind of takes us to the end of the movie so is, is there anything else steve that you uh 
you particularly yeah, I was going to say, like, my, my notes kind of start to peter out at that point. I think they started to peter out about 45 minutes into this film. <laughs> and then as I was kind of like, I'm not going to write this scene by scene. Yeah, they go shopping. Yeah, they get a Mac. Yeah, yeah, they kind of like lose the guy and get the guy. I was like, no, I've got the broad strokes. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> what? the only thing I was going to kind of wrap this up with, Chris, as we kind of get to the end here, I was trying to think, you know, aside from being children, and not recognising quality of such a film being so young. Maybe the moment in our lives, it, it wasn't traumatic, but it was certainly, you know, the, when we watched this, it was actually a moment of great importance and upheaval. You know, two kids, you only eight, uprooting our lives to place England with weird ideas and weird accents and mm. new strange friends with weird names and schools with had weird songs that made you sing. Oh, they're high-quality football teams and... Exactly. <laughs> Low quality football <laughs> and, snacks. And we were going through, you know, in a weird way, we were going through a lot, right? I mean, maybe yeah. it was a bit too young for us to acknowledge out loud, but, you know, you were eight years old, you were getting ripped away from your friends, and and I was a bit more happier, but I wasn't having the greatest time in my life. You know, I fell out with, like, my best friend in school, and I remember, like, the summer leading up to that move, like, planning my summer, like, oh, in three weeks' time in this class where am i going to sit because i can't sit near him anymore or his friends i have to make new friends and i'll make friends with this guy and and all these things i was kind of weirdly trying to plan my life um in a very sad and and kind of depressed 13 year old kind of way exactly rather than you know apologizing or or whatever you know (laughs) never apologize you know doing exactly never i i don't even today but that's that's it's very what true, happens. folks. That's very true. And and you know, I saw this movie as a chance to actually have a restart, so I didn't mind it so much. But I was thinking, you know, like given we watched this when you know we we hadn't long moved down, we were in a you know strange house, you know, kind of a rented accommodation. Maybe that was part of it. You know, maybe something that funny or something that was supposed to be funny, but um, you know, it was on repeat constantly on the glory days of of Sky movies. I don't know, Chris. Maybe just for me, it was something comfortable definitely um, you know something that was recorded we could we could watch over and over again uh and with so much change in our lives um maybe we just wanted some cheap laughs like someone <laughs> ripping off a woman's bikini and seeing some tits like i don't know what did you think with so much change in our lives the one constant was weekend at bernie's too <laughs> um, exactly not even the original this the, the sequel no i think you're right i think the thing is everybody has some weird film like this that's that, that's that kind of thing and you know as i watched it as i as i say you know it wasn't a great movie to watch while there was there was some laughs and there was a lot of me kind of cringing and thinking, God. And I, honestly, there was a lot of me thinking, what did eight-year-old Chris find funny about this, actually? <laughs> you know, where were the laughs for me then? But at the same time, it, it did feel quite comforting because it is that nostalgia, just like I felt when we watched Pee Wee Herm and just like I felt when we watched the Three Amigos. Mm. And I suppose for me, yeah, it kind of represents this time in our life where, yeah, like you say, I was very... As you recall, I did not take our move from Scotland very well because while you were on a bit of a downturn when you found out we were going to move, I was on a bit of an upswing. The day mum told us we were going to move, she just picked me up in her old Nova and she sort of sat, you know, how was your first day of school? Because it was like my first day back from a break or something. And I was like... It was. It was the first day 
after our summer break. It was the same for me at high school. Yeah, and I was like, Mum, it was fantastic. I'm sat next to Stuart. He's my best friend in the whole wide world. And we're actually sat next to each other, finally. And I've got all these new friends. And I was in a primary four slash five composite class, I think. Or five slash six. Oh, I was in a few of those, yeah. yeah. A composite class, meaning two years smooshed together, presumably because it was a low birth rate year. So they just kind of chucked us all in one place. And I was making friends with kids that were older than me. And so I had this massive, like, effusive rant at mum that took us almost to home. We were we were turning the corner. We were about to go past uh, the turn off for um, Muriel and Davies. And mum would just sort of solemnly turn to me and went, um, we might have to move. <laughs> and it was just like... It was just yep. like a ton of bricks being dropped on me. And I, I didn't accept it at all. <clears throat> I You hated it. I hated it. I went and sat and I cried in my room for days. Mum called me down one day and went, Chris, can you come downstairs? And I said, I will only if we're not discussing moving. <laughs> because I was just like in complete denial. I was like, any day, you know, I'd watched a lot of films. It comes through in the last minute. Dad was going to get a new job. We were going to stay there. I had no idea about your friendship troubles. Obviously, you didn't share that sort of thing with me at the time. I didn't. All I knew was life was great for me, and I didn't want it to stop being great. I lived, you know, round the corner for some really close friends. I'd been friends with my whole life. I stupidly, you know, I had the big room, so I was happy with that. And, yeah, I was I was in this real good place, and then, you know, Mum and dad had sort of hit me with the news that we had to move. Fast forward to us moving, we're being in this rented house, which of course didn't feel like home anyway, but felt even less like home for the fact that we didn't have our own furniture in there. You know, it was Mm. someone else's chairs, someone else's table, someone else's plates. And mum and dad were constantly like, don't break anything. Don't knock anything over. Don't touch anything because this isn't our house. (laughs) Which really reinforced for me the fact that it wasn't our home and that we weren't what I had always considered home. So it was a time in my life, a very yeah, great upheaval. I was very upset. And being the personable, cool guy that I am, I very quickly made friends and started to move on with my life. Um, and you and I would discuss many times over the years that, that we would both look back at it and say, moving down to England is the best thing that ever happened to us. Mm. It was great for mum's job. It was great for dad's job. It was great for both of our educational prospects. Both ended up going to better schools and better universities than we would have ended up going to and we met great people you know things really worked out for us and so i think when i think back on films like this a big part of it for me was that we just moved to this area where you and i didn't know anyone you know we'd made a few contacts but we didn't have our close best friends yet i think fair to say and so we really sort of fell back on each other and came a little bit sort of fraser and niles and and that's when you know i think our bickering didn't entirely stop but it took a bit of a backseat to the fact that we both kind of needed a friend and we kind of needed to be mm. each other's friends mm. and you know so it was this time where yeah a stupid movie about a dead guy being brought back to life was something that we could bond over <laughs> um you know i think it would always be like i want to watch weekend at bernie's and you'd be kind of like go on then let's chuck on weekend at bernie's and I think a big part of it for me was like, oh, my big brother's sitting down and watching a film with me. <laughs> we never really did that that much when we were young, unless it was as a whole That's family. 
and you know you know you were sort of like looking out for your kid brother as well as much as anything and yeah and i think no great surprise that was the first year you ever bought me a christmas present do you remember that that's true you bought you bought me real monsters trading cards true that's true and you bought me nothing so that was one no steve (laughs) even though it cost me about two pounds fifty it was one no steve i didn't have any money i had no income i had no revenue stream at that point mum and dad hadn't started the whole pocket money thing for me yet because um, we got pocket money from Grana Granda, and then we're in England, we didn't have Grana Granda anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, another, another, another part of our sort of the fabric of what had been our life that kind of sort of changed, I suppose. So, so yeah, in other words, you know, Weekend at Bernie's Two had a deep and profound impact on our lives, and maybe we wouldn't be sat here today <laughs> recording this podcast, <laughs> having this conversation, if it hadn't been for two friends, Richie and Larry. Who just wanted one more bite of the apple? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the real thing is the friends they made across. No, I don't. I don't think that at all. But no, but <laughs> it uh, would have just been another movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Certainly, uh, it happened at an important time of our life. Although I don't think the movie itself was uh, a huge impact on it. But no, just a catalyst. There you go. Just a catalyst. I think one one more thing I want to uh, highlight about the movie just looking through my notes that I don't think I, uh, I got to pick up on before. So we've, we've hit on Barry Bostwick. We've hit on his, you know, pretty, uh, pretty great portrayal. But my, my absolute favorite part of the film, my final and biggest laugh of the whole film, which was more of a guttural belly laugh than, than you know, the sort of <laughs> chicken moments that mm-hmm. I'd had before, is, you know, as we say, his, his character is really going through something. In all of his efforts to prove the the very true thing that they are stealing money and they have, he's been arrested like three times. He's been, uh, does he get tased or something? He's he's getting a lot of physical pain coming his way at any rate, as well as the obvious emotional pain that he's going through. And it, it gets to the point where he thinks he's literally going insane. He thinks Bernie has come back to life because he's seen him and nobody else believes him. And they sort of say like, man, you need to take some time off, take a break go have a submarine ride, right? So he, uh-huh. he gets on the sub. He's just trying to relax, trying to be calm. And he looks out the window. And who does he see wiggling his ass and bobbing his head? But Bernie! <laughs> yeah, out the window. And his, his face was where my laugh began. And then he said, Bernie! Yeah, again, it was all it was all line <laughs> delivery. It wasn't the line. It wasn't it was the, the situation. Said it. it was the actors just elevating this piece of trash as high as they could and being very, very talented with it. I, I actually I did have a little giggle with that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's um it reminds me very much of I think Charles Grodin's uh performance in Couch Trip. It's just that kind of like he's just He's being beaten down and beaten down and beaten down and he just gets this guttural growl of like, I knew it. I wasn't crazy all along. That's Bernie. Yeah. Uh, that, that that was a good denouement. <laughs> okay, so we'll be back in two weeks with another film or TV show or whatever. But in the meantime, if you wish, keep in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter at OBrotherPod. You can like us at facebook.com slash Podcast. Remember, that's no H. It's like the film, Pod. <laughs> and finally, subscribe and review and share on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. So for this week's episode, I've been Steve. 
He's been Chris, and we'll see you next time. See you next time.